It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Filmwax Radio. It is Friday, February 19th, 2021. This is episode 656 of the podcast. I hope this finds you well. If you are in Texas and you are experiencing the power outage, you know, my thoughts are with you, you know, and I, uh, my concerns, I find this news very disturbing and I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you guys and rooting for you. And uh, I understand the power came back for a bit and then it went back. Oh, it's just a nightmare and I, I feel terrible. I'm up in uh, the Hudson Valley in New York State. And thank goodness, thank goodness so far, so good. I haven't had a power outage here. I understand there are periodic power outages. We've been having one sort of weather system through after another. But it's basically just been snow and the winds have not been an issue. If you hear my voice, you're doing okay out there. I have a really great episode here. Uh, two terrific filmmakers. This is like kind of like the wheelhouse, right? Here it is, Filmwax Radio, 10 years in, or about to go through later this year into its 10th year. Really just months away. And still concerned with the same roots where the film, where this film podcast started. You know, as many as people have come on to talk about whether it's their films, their books, their album, or what have you, their lives, their art making, we're still talking about storytelling with the platform of, of cinema, you know, and, and um, these two guests, you know, may as well have been my first two guests. We have a coming up first, I think this is uh, Shatara's first feature film that they've directed. It's called Test Pattern. We'll talk about that in a second. And then uh, we are thrilled to bring on uh, Rodney Asher, who has been making nonfiction films, documentaries, I guess, for uh, a little while. This is his third. It's called A Glitch in the Matrix. And we're going to talk to Rodney as well. I'm very happy to bring him on. Actually, when I first saw Rodney's first film, and I'll you know, we bring it, it comes up in the conversation. But when I saw Room 237, being a film lover, of course, that was a big thrill. To see that documentary about these people who believe in the, all this, uh, it's not quite the conspiracy theorists, but they believe in all this symbolism that takes that's in The Shining. You know, you, you may remember this. If you're a film fan, I know you've seen it. Or, excuse me, if you haven't and you're a film fan, you ought to see it. And we'll talk to Rodney a little bit. So first we'll talk about this film called Test Pattern, directed by Shatara Michelle Ford. And it's being distributed by our friends over in Keaton Lorber. It premieres today, Friday, the 19th of February. Uh, part psychological horror, part realist drama. This exhilarating debut feature from Shatara Michelle Ford is set against the backdrop of national discussions around inequitable health care 
and uh, policing the Me Too movement and race in America. Test Pattern follows an interracial couple whose relationship is put to the test after a black woman is sexually assaulted and her white boyfriend uh, drives her from hospital to hospital in search of a rape kit. Uh, their story reveals the systemic injustices and social conditioning women face when navigating sex and consent within the American patriarchy. Winner of top prizes at the Black Star and New Orleans Film Festivals, this gripping social thriller offers a unique exploration of institutional racism and sexism from a black woman's point of view. Uh, the film includes a depiction of sexual assault. It can be triggering. It may be triggering. Just a uh, heads up for those uh, who might find that difficult. All right, it's playing its virtual cinemas. You can visit uh, the Kino Marquee website and find out exactly where you can see the film and support it. It was lovely. I, I was excited to talk to Shatara uh, and hear directly from them about this film, which I saw some months ago at, I believe, I, I which film festival? I can't remember. Gosh darn it. Gosh darn it. I don't remember exactly which film festival I saw it at. I apologize for that. But um, uh, I did enjoy it. And at the time, back then, I, I, I even asked to talk to Shatara. And I was uh, asked to wait a little while until the film comes out. Well, here it is. It comes out right now. And um, I really highly recommend it. It's a good film. It's called Test Pattern. It's it's uh, opening today. Here it is. My conversation with Shatara Michelle Ford, only on Film Wax Radio. How was work? Yeah, they're really cool. I mean, mainly women, mostly mm-hmm. white. I think you should have a good girls' night. You two beautiful ladies want to dance. We should go to the hospital. Uh, I'm sorry, but we're not going to be able to conduct the examination. How are you? I don't really remember much. You guys don't have rape kids? Actually, we suggest that you go to Bryson Kahn. You're on the list. We, dro- we drove all the way here. Why is this so important to you? Come on, Nate. No, seriously, why? Don't we need to figure out what happened to you? Hi. Hey. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm in the middle of like another couple of inches of snow in central Pennsylvania, but you know. Oh, you're in central Pennsylvania? How far, let's say, Lebanon or something like that? I'm uh, not far from there at all. I think like 45 minutes or something like that. It isn't far. I thought that might be further east than you. It must be a little bit. Yeah, it's not. I mean, so I'm 
80 miles due south of, or not really south, it's like southwest of Philly. Okay. Um, and I think Lebanon's like a little further northeast of me, but not not too okay. much. Yeah. yeah. I, Sorry, what's got a, no, no, I once got a dog. Of course, as as everyone does, the dog from Lancaster County. Oh, is that right? Is there a lot yeah. of puppy uh, or not? Yeah, puppy? the Amish love yeah. uh, raising puppies and selling them to everybody on the East Coast. There's a lot of breeders there, yeah, doing, but they they have the space and the the time to do it the right way, not do it to you know. Anyway, I don't it. know how we got. Tara, <laughs> nice to meet you. I wanted to start with a, little, a tiny anecdote, which might then uh, spur the, at least a beginning to this conversation about test pattern in your film. And that is that um, many years ago when I was a college student, and I'm up in the Hudson Valley right now, mm. and I just was right nearby where, and I remember there was this woman who I knew through my summer camp and she lived nearby and I visited her and I, we got into this conversation and she said to me, uh, and this would have been in the early 80s. She said, you know, if I was raped, I wouldn't tell the police. And that kind of blew my mind. I never heard that before. I was grew up in a very liberal, progressive, you know, right? Where, you know, the idea of, of assaulting anyone, let alone a woman, is, you know, just the worst thing in the world. So to hear, and then also privileged background in the sense that I just took kind of safety for granted but the idea of like well anytime you're in trouble you just go to the police right or if you if you have some so the idea that she would say this to me I just like why well I don't I didn't I couldn't connect it so it sort of <laughs> explained something to me at my very young age of 17 that or 18 that you know that she felt that she would be vi- further victimized yeah yeah, no, that's that's a thing. I don't know, man. I yeah, I mean, I mean that that's why I made the movie. I guess you know, I thought it was like I that's not true. I made the movie for a couple of reasons. Uh, it was you know September twenty seventeen. Um, we were as a as a small subsect of society having a conversation about consent that was not fully ramped up, but we were at a point where, you know, we talked about Bill Cosby for a good year. Yep. And uh, Aziz Ansari's whole incident right. was out and we had elected a, you know, harasser in chief or an assaulter in chief we we elected that person Mm. Uh, we were um talking a lot about rape kits and the backlog um you know we were donating money to protect planned parenthood you know so there were a lot of just conversations about women's bodily autonomy um and and consent um, at that time. And it's something that is important to me for many reasons. And I did a lot of deep thinking about myself and I was getting really frustrated with kind of where we were 
in that conversation. I think we were still living, and I think our culture has a, a habit of doing this. And I think we see it right now with just, you know, the ways in which we talk about white supremacy, whiteness as a whole, cancel culture and stuff like that. But um, I think that, you know, we have a cultural problem in America of not being able to sit with both and, and things are very much like, either or extreme one thing or another, black, white, um, which doesn't allow for much nuance and to see things, you know, play out in like a broader scale. So when this, when it, I think about this with consent, it's like, you know, assault is on many different levels and is a spectrum. None of it is good. None of it is good. But our legal system only really kind of recognizes and engages with the extremes. And they don't do a good job with that either. So it puts you in a really complicated position um, as someone who may have been violated um, sexually, assaulted sexually, boundaries crossed sexually, um, harassed. Like you don't really know if you're allowed to feel anything mm-hmm. to, I don't know, you don't know if you're allowed to um, pursue any kind of reconciliation, any kind of justice. Um, and you often blame yourself because there are no tools in language for you to fully understand that. Um, so yeah, that was really frustrating to me, especially as I thought about my experiences, you know, in college and quite a few of my friends in their 20s. And I mean, uh, uh, all times, but particularly in their 20s when stuff like this was happening all the time and no one really, you know, had the full um, toolkit to deal with it. Um, I think also what's related to that is um, the way in which we were taught generationally, um, maybe up until about five or six years ago, a conversation very much for like, you know, old millennials, Gen Xers, and late boomers is no means no. But that really doesn't account for much um, because um, just because there's a yes at one point, the yes can change just because, and I think we also underestimate the ways in which um, consent is communicated non-verbally and how there are many other like signals and ways that folks need to be mindful. And there's also just power dynamics that coerce certain words being said that maybe we don't actually really want to say. So yeah, I was thinking in general, we need to kind of open that up and have a larger conversation. And that was something that really um, motivated me to write what I wrote, but you know, also, we talked a lot about rape kits in the backlog and rape kits were something that I personally wasn't really aware of until 2017. It was never something that was offered to me or my friends. And I was curious about why. Um, and the more I read about it, the more I realized that, you know, they, there are many times when that is not offered to you or it's offered to you or the resources aren't there for you to actually get it administered or it's administered incorrectly or they charge you for it, which is also something that's not allowed. So there were all these things. Really? Yeah. Hmm. There's all these things that kind of get in the way. So you think about that and then you think about anybody in a marginalized position um, in a liberal city or town or not you're less likely to want to go through that because you know that the system was not designed to support you or protect you. I was raised um, 
to believe that the system does not work for me. And it's not a belief, it's, it's a reality, you know? So um, when I was thinking about, you know, Renisha having a situation like that um, and, you know, living in an environment like I grew up in, I grew mm-hmm. up in St. Louis, um, I would have <laughs> definitely not said a word. I probably would have gone home, had a shower, took a nap, had a cup of tea and then had to think about it for a while. And I probably would have been doing a lot of self criticism and blame. Yeah. That was probably taught to you by some. All of society. (laughs) I was trying to exclude family members and that kind of thing, but. Every, you know, everybody has a role to play in that. We're only projecting the things that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've, absorbed and and you know been taught so absolutely um, um yeah well your character you brought her up Renisha who's played by Brittany S. Hall right she's she's in a position where she doesn't even get to give or not give consent because <laughs> she's roofied well see that's that's interesting um that is something that people I, I hate to to be the the bearer of bad news, but she wasn't, she wasn't roofied. She took drugs that didn't agree with her. Um, I thought she was also roofied, but no, she was just given strong. Yeah. I mean, and again, by the way, that was intentional. I didn't make that clear on purpose. Okay. I also saw it admittedly and I started rewatching it, Hmm. but then all my, I thought (laughs) I remembered everything pretty clearly. Yeah, no, no. It's it's an easy like mistake. A little bit. I knew knew that people would get that wrong because I think there's an assumption. I think sometimes it's easier for us to um, accept assault, to accept rape when we think that something more sinister is kind of at play. Um, And I think in general, and kind Mm -hmm. of what I'm what I would like to get at with, you know, that conversation is that it doesn't matter. It truly didn't matter if she were drugged or not. The fact is, is that she was in a, in a position where she was more vulnerable. That shouldn't have happened for so many reasons. And there are absolutely people who go out of the way to make people more vulnerable. And I would argue that, you know, Mike and his friend did that anyway by pushing drinks on them, by introducing other substances. It didn't really matter if there was like a nefarious, you know, roofie or not. Like they weren't, they weren't being responsible when they were doing that. You packaged the film, interestingly, too, like in this way. I don't know if it was conscious or not, but it's called Test Pattern. So it's right away. First of all, you made a fiction, a narrative feature. You could have made a documentary if you just wanted to uh, deal with the subject head on. But you kind of went around it in a different with a different type of approach, a narrative film. And it starts in, well, it's called Test Pattern, which doesn't immediately make you think of this is going to be a story about assault. And then as you're watching the opening sequence, well, let me let me change that because the opening sequence actually is quite quite <laughs> a signal of what's to come. But then it ends, it begins into a, then it goes into this, the beginning of a love story, mm-hmm. which definitely gets tested, I suppose, over the course of the, the, the uh, film. Why the title? And what did it, how, how did you kind of come across it? Like, what did it mean to you? to call the film test pattern. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think 
the definition, you know, of a test pattern, we understand those to be or those kind of, you know, old school broadcasts on on television sets don't even, that it doesn't really even exist anymore. But right. uh, the tool that a test pattern is is to help you adjust your receiver to kind of see calibrate it. it. Yeah, your receiver. Right. Um, and that was kind of my idea, right? Like the film is a is a is a recalibrator. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a kind of indicator of uh. where we're at. Um, the whole goal for me with this film was to kind of hold a mirror up to to the audience and ask them very clear questions of like, what do you see and how does that make you feel? And the way that the audience responds is very much in line with their own kind of political and ideological positioning. Um, you know, when folks screen this film in groups and there's Q and A's afterwards, there's always disagreements amongst audience members about what happened, what it means, um, what's right and what's wrong, who's good and who's bad. And, um, that is by design. Yeah, Matt, I, I imagine. Did you get a few good festivals in before the quarantine or? Uh, yeah. So it was, it been on the festival circuit since August. Yeah. 20, um, 2019. Yeah. It, That's it, great. Yeah, it's gone around. <laughs> so you had a lot of conversations, although one could say the bubble of the festival, uh, you know, attending, but you, you have, depending on the festival, you might have more community, a lot of commu- people from the community coming in where the conversations might actually get a little bit more um, intense. Yeah. You know, I also, I intentionally test screened the film a lot. I think Did we you? Had, yeah, maybe 20 or 30 test screenings. And the point was of that was not really, we weren't really looking for, you know, if people like the movie or not, we were interested in what they responded to. So, you know, I would kind of sit in, in a dark corner and kind of make notes at like minute marks when I'd see people laugh or cringe or, you know, ask a question. Um, and I absolutely paid a lot of attention to what they debated at the end. Um, and that was telling me if I was doing my job, which is kind of being as, um, objective as I could be in some places to kind of have be at arm's length so they could kind of just see situations for what they are. Um, also I'm someone who would like to, I are on the side of subtlety. So if I cannot be obvious with something, if I cannot use dialogue, I won't. And so if I felt like I could get an idea across without mm-hmm. having say, usually those test screens would let me know if I could get away with it or not. But yeah. Um, so- you're, yeah. Make people lean in and work a little harder, maybe. It, mm-hmm. Right? It's more, there's, uh, it's more to graphify. It pays off more too as a viewer of the film. I enjoyed it. It's called Test Pattern, the director, writer, Shatara Michelle Ford, who I'm talking, been talking with, I given the signal that we're winding down or we're done pretty much. <laughs> you have to do the show again, Shatara, at, at some point, because I'd like to get to know you better and have a longer conversation about film and your career, but it's opening on the 19th and maybe those lurking in the background here can, it's on kinomarquee.com, which is Kino Larber, the distributor's, virtual cinema right but people can also find it on in other virtual cinemas and other art houses how's that working you wouldn't get a get some inf- more information about it. i just want to make sure people can find it very easily and not you know struggle yeah, I think the list of, of cinemas near people i think it's like if yeah you, it's 
So if they go to there's Laura- go to Keena Lorber's website and look and the, all the information will be there. Uh, hold on, little information coming in. Oh, she, virtual cinemas. Thank you. She, she Emma doesn't have to cross the country. Very good. So look at the Keena Lorber site because I have a sense that they'll probably list those theaters that you can go. And when I say uh, the, it's probably local art houses, more or less, and um, you want to support those guys, of course, as well as Shatara and her film. I should end. It's it's a great indie film. It stands up on many levels as an, as also just a an entertaining film as well. So you can see for that, it's got some great actors in it, including Will Brill from the OA and other places people may recognize him, and Gail Bean and Drew Fuller. And anything else I left out or? Um, Brittany S. Hall. Um, Brittany S. Hall plays the lead character, Rashina. Uh, I think I said that wrong. Renisha. Renisha. I, 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 yeah, screwed it up. Uh, so thank you. And keep warm in Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania. I will. Thanks. All right. And I hope to talk to you again sometime. It was really nice to meet you. You too, Adam. Take care. You too. Take care. Thank you. simulation and the world as we know it is not real to tackle this mind-bending idea acclaimed filmmaker rodney asher director of room 237 and the nightmare uses a noted speech from uh, philip k dick to dive down the rabbit hole of science philosophy and conspiracy theory leaving no stone unturned in exploring the unprovable The film uses contemporary cultural touchstones like The Matrix, interviews with real people shrouded in digital avatars, and a wide array of voices, expert and amateur alike. If simulation theory is not science fiction, but fact, and life is a video game being played by some unknowing, some unknowable entity, then who, who are we really? Well, a glitch in the Matrix... Well, a glitch in the matrix attempts to find out. Directed by Rodney Asher, produced by Ross M. Dinerstein. Uh, it is widely available right now, on demand, streaming. You will have no problem finding a glitch in the matrix. And here to talk to me about that documentary is filmmaker Rodney Asher here on Film Wax Radio. I have, through dreaming and waking up, lived thousands of different lifetimes. There are fundamental metaphors about reality, waking up from a dream. We have this cognitive experience of shifting between realities. 
There's another world behind this world. Okay, so this is going to set the tenor for everything. We are living in a computer programmed reality. Simulation theory is the idea that this is all fake. The Matrix was real. We are being inhabited by some sort of player. I would start giving myself tests. I'm thinking of someone and I turn the corner and there they are. The only clue we have is when some alteration in our reality occurs. We are living in a simulation. Okay, so what do I do with that? I don't know. Enjoy it. Simulation theory is a blending of religion and science. This is a way to deal with the complexity of human existence. What's the point of laws? What's the point of all this? This is what it feels like to be alive right now. The inability to separate real world from digital reality. A world without rules, controls. People are scarcely real to me. Because it's a game. There's a lot of very dark forces on the horizon. There are things that are trying to manipulate me. This world is capable of falling apart. Somebody's got to be putting their hand on the scale. The creator of the game. Hi, how are you, Rodney? I'm good. How are you, sir? Good, thank you. Nice to meet you. I'm here. I became aware of you and your work uh, at the New York Film Festival, when t- Room 237. You did one one uh, Q&A at the Film Center. Do you remember that at the... Uh... I, 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 I do. That was, a, that, that, that was an amazing time. Yeah, it was great. And it was a great conversation afterwards. I remember enjoying that very much. So I've been uh, following your, your film since. So it's great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, um, that film, for anybody who hasn't seen it, is, is, uh, looks at The Shining, right? And, and looks into all the symbolism therein. And the, people who, and, and the people who have discovered it. <laughs> very much right of course and then the nightmare which was uh also kind of a, another look at uh, like an, an interesting perspective of sleep paralysis through those who have lived through it or do live through it experience it right and now finally we're at um your new film a glitch in the in the matrix what, which does uh, feel like the end of that cycle in a way does it it does how do you see how do you see the pattern there since we're talking, well, since you're interested okay. in patterns. Well, I mean, it's interesting because it isn't as if this happened by design, but, you know, in hindsight, to me, it feels like, you know, they're all very similar in, in subject and in focus that um, it's just sort of a widening of the lens. If they're all about people, I think, struggling, struggling to understand mysteries that the first one, you know, it's a particular film, but it would, I think it would have been a very similar movie if they were trying to understand a painting or a song or a book. Um, you know, the second one is about the subconscious and the supernatural, um, you know, mystery of dream states. And then, you know, this one is about <laughs> the nature of reality itself. Some sort of collective dream state in a way. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to work out here is as, a, as, as you, the narrator, which is you, if you are supporting these ideas i mean you're presenting them and you take them and I, what i appreciate is you also uh your subjects are not you, you you give them a um 
you're a very respectful platform and in all th- these films, you know, um, whereas I'm, you know, like the way QAnon, for instance, is, is, is presented is invariably as a bunch of loons, but you're missing by presenting them as such. And I'm getting back to your films in a moment, but as doing that, you don't take the broader picture into account, right? We, we miss that, which is really the important part. So I'm wondering, are you trying to tease that out of your, of the films? Like, okay. Cause obviously folks like Phil Dick and others actually really do believe that we are living in this. Um, uh, we're not living in the reality that we're living in um, an alternative uh, or simulation of reality. So is that something people need to believe or are we all supposed to kind of think about that as a possibility for real? Well, I mean, I think there's two ways of thinking about simulation theory and, you know, knock on wood, I would love it if when the discussion continues beyond the film that they would look, they would consider it both ways that there's the literal idea, you know, that scientifically speaking, we are actually inside of a giant computer somewhere um, that is a simulation of, of organic life and that with the right tools, you know, with the right um, sort of measurements, we could break this all down into zeros and ones. Um, And if you get, and and there is a, there is a there there, if you start to pour over the science and, you know, you read up on Bostrom and Neil deGrasse Tyson and a handful of others who've gone down that hole, it's a, it's a, you know, it's kind of a fascinating question. Um, But for me, I'm even more interested in, and I think the movie arguably is more interested in, you know, simulation theory as a metaphor, you know, talking about the way each of us construct reality based on our histories, our biases, our media diet, our peer group, you know, and what it means for, you know, there to be how many billion bubbles or how many of us are living in, in shared realities. And, you know, what we lose by being stuck in individual ones. I think you get the closest to that way of looking at it. Uh, your film, again, we mentioned this really quickly, but it, it we, we are, there are four or five subjects in Glitch in the Matrix. How many? There, there are four of those characters, you know, who are handled with avatars. Witnesses or the avatars. Witnesses. Right, right. And then there's, you know, I think there's four experts, um, Bostrom, Eric Davis, um, Emily Pottist, and um, I, I suppose Chris Ware, even though he's kind of coming at it from a different way. And then there's, you know, the I am an NPC Reddit user. And right, right, right. Yeah, sure. And then finally, Josh Cook, who come, who's sort of his own category, who calls him by phone. Well, yeah. So getting to Josh, for instance, I mean, that seems like the closest we come because maybe of this extreme situation is being an extreme example, whereas it went, it was, there was a tragic story there, but here we get an example, somebody who maybe we're getting to the larger picture of why, you know, what you're getting at as far as like the, people needing to believe in this idea of us of, that we're in a simulation for some broader internal psychological need or curiosity or something. Yeah. yeah and, and people get there, you know, different ways. Certainly, 
you know, I see no end of simulation theory jokes, you know, in social media every time something strange happens in the news, which seems to be more and more and more, and more frequently. Though, I mean, back to, I think, where, where this question started, I think those four guys who are um, represented by the avatars are sort of the focus of the movie. Right. Sort of, sort of, sort of the main characters so that, with other people coming in for color commentary and then Josh getting that one uh, big solo moment. We should say you partnered with an animation company, right, that did a, a digital animated caricature avatar rather for each of your these four guys yeah i mean it was a amazing it was a, it was a very small number of people though i think they were able to you know really really um work miracles for this thing that um my friends at mindbomb films which um founded by my my pal sid garrett who i've been working with since the 20th century you know sort of took the lead in the animation stuff, mm-hmm. um, the avatars were were designed by this comic book artist, Chris Burnham, who's both an amazing pop storyteller, but as you can see, he's got a real flair for design. And Lorenzo Fonda took the lead on animating those avatars um, and putting them into those grid worlds with um, Davy Force, who you might remember him from, he and his friend Nick did that shining... Um, that sort of LSD drenched shining fried chicken commercial um, short, the chickening a couple of yes. years ago. Yeah. I remember reading about it in your, yeah. In the notes yeah. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, I haven't seen oh, it. You, you can find it online. You, it'll blow your mind. Um, I, I'll, maybe I'll add it to the, uh, the end here. <laughs> I'm going to put the trailer for the glitch in the matrix at the beginning of our conversation, before our conversation, maybe I'll add the chickening to the end. Yeah, no, the chicken the, the chickening makes two three seven look like an Alex Gibby movie, um, but he did that. He came in to do the more photo real stuff, like the guy in the movie theater and the spaceship sequence, uh-huh. um, all the stuff that we kind of considered outside of the simulation, where the simulation machines, the brain in the vat, the giant sphere. Yeah, it's a it's a deceptively high tech movie. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of it is just because I guess where we are in technology, right? Like a lot of the software that we were using are things that were just now hitting the point where, you know, it was affordable on the, the budget and schedule of, a, of an indie doc. Mm-hmm. Because like Lorenzo, you know, was animating the avatars, you know, through motion capture, right? He, we got one of those rubber suits like they had in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, would watch you know the performances of the real people, and then mimic them and add a little bit of flair um, for visual communication, and you know with what he did with his arms and body language would then be mapped onto um, on the avatars. And there was this company Rococo who's just like released a beta of that as we went into production. In fact, you know we had been waiting for there, there were breakthroughs that we were waiting for that never quite came like gloves and um, facial recognition. So wow. since the, the gloves weren't ready that, you know, we had to animate the, the hands um, on their own separately. I but see. Wow. The, 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 the greater body language happened through uh, motion capture, which, I mean, the fact that a teeny movie like this is able to use that sort of Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, that technology is. Yeah. Um, well, it, no pun intended. It, it does illustrate how quickly technology, not only how quickly it's, it's becoming more and more sophisticated, but also more 
available and accessible, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and weirdly, um, Magnolia just did this thing on Instagram where they have the avatars as filters so that. Oh, wow. Yeah. That you can, you can, you can actually communicate in an Instagram video as those characters, but in your, like you can exactly do what we did in the movie, but you know, in real time on anybody's phone, it's just, it's just nuts. The technology is, has, has moved that fast. Well, therefore people should share the film and t- if you've seen it, tell everybody, you know, about it. So you can have those types of online experiences together. Yeah, Since well, we're living almost entirely online anyway. Well, and, and it happens, you know, at the, at Sundance this year, right? You know, we have a, a virtual premiere, which, you know, is unfortunate for 99% of the films that they showed, but, you know, for us, it was kind of on. Kind of fitting, right? Yeah, well, and the crazy, one of the, you know, one of the other crazy thing is that yeah. they had their party, their, like Sundance is famous. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And the party was in virtual reality. Right. And, and you so, adopt an avatar when you're as a, a participant, right? Exactly. And you put on the Oculus yeah. and then you're in this round um, lounge that is literally floating above the earth. And we were able to have a party with, you know, maybe nine members of the cast and crew and friends and people from other films and audience members. Right. And, you know, I was in there for two and a half hours and it felt like I went to a place and hung out with my friends. Mm. <laughs> You know, we were living the movie. It was you know, bananas. Um, going through one of the the linchpins of the film is this 1977 presentation made by Philip K. Dick, right, in Metz, France, uh, where the audience, where which is so great because it's such a an amazing piece of footage on so many levels. But it, you, you know, you you look at the audience and you can't really tell. I mean, they were captivated. That you can tell can't really tell because he's explaining the, this idea probably to people who are hearing it for the very first time in their lives had to be a mind-blowing concept for many people in the audience right yeah well especially i mean to me i think it would be an easier sell to say that we were in a dream or like right. some, some other kind of metaphor for this world not being quite real because 1977 what do computers look like you know, filing cabinets with gigantic magnetic reels and blinking lights and maybe Pong. But you know, so, so to see the possibility that they could create. Well, we had Kubrick. Stimulation. Yeah. Is, and how? Is, is so, is, is prophecy. You know, when we were at the VR party, you know, after the film, wearing the Oculuses, mm-hmm. well, you can see a perfect simulated world from there. It's not that far in the, it's just a better version of what we were doing, but there was no comparison in the seventies, you know? Right, so, right, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that, was, that was really, really unbelievable to see that and to see him talking about it that long ago. Um, you know, the audience is amazing. They don't look like they're, <laughs> like, they're that, that, like they're that on board. It's kind of a, a, amazing to see them. Uh, I imagine this is a very, uh, the, these types of simulations seem especially appealing in recent days um, anyway, because the reality that we're, quote unquote, reality we're living in is, has been pretty awful. Yeah, well, it certainly is. So the way... timing of the film is, is actually kind of interesting. Yeah, and I thought, 
I was, I thought that I was very much behind the curve based on when we got going, but it seems to, um, you yeah, know, our time, our time seems to feel pretty good. And, and I know that feeling that you're talking about, and I think that goes back to, you know, a lot of the jokes that I see about it. Um, well, the simulation is acting up again, or here's another glitch, or here's another piece of proof that, you know, in some ways you can blow off a little steam by saying, I guess it doesn't matter that much since we're only <laughs> in simulation and can, mm-hmm. and can feel a little better about it. <laughs> Did you grow up uh, reading Philip K. Dick or was this something that you more recently came to in, in, as a yeah, I, I knew him most. I knew him mostly through the movies. Right. You know, I read, you know, um, you know, Electronic Sheep, you know, after I saw Blade Runner and a couple of the short stories, but it wasn't really into the and, until we I started thinking about the film and realizing that he was a um, a good touchstone that I started pouring through book after book after book. Oh yeah, you know. So um, it, it it was something that has the deep dive you know into into his work has has, has been much more recent. Well, uh, Ronnie Asher is the director of his latest. It's only your third documentary. I was I was sort of shocked. It's called, uh, let me finish my thought for once, A Glitch in the Matrix. And it's going to be, uh, it's already, it's available now. We're a little late to the, to the, to the game here, but we're, uh, the, the film is currently available uh, virtually, of course. Of course, right. And on demand. Probably yeah. very easy to find. Um, yeah, you know, it's on all the major digital platforms and in some places, theaters, I'm not sure, uh, certainly not out here, but maybe it's safer in other parts of the country. It's, it's, it, yeah, and, uh, it's going, it's, there are theaters actually screening films elsewhere in the country. You're in, you're in northern Los Angeles, is that what I'm? Um, yeah, northeast LA. Northeast LA, okay. And I'm north of New York City at the moment. Okay. Hiding away my own, in my own fashion, I guess. Right. Um, so I was, this is your, just, I, I was shocked when I looked back that Room 237 was really just your, was that your first feature? It was, but, you know, I probably spent, I don't, I don't know if I want to count it, but at least 20 years making shorts and music okay. videos and doing graphics and being an editor and, you know, I see. Um, being a film, being an editing teacher. Um, okay. I had, I had an attempted, I had attempted a, doc, a feature doc before that, turned into a couple of shorts. So, um, you know, I've been beating my head against the wall for, for years before I managed to uh, get that one together. Well, and you discovered sort of, sort of this niche that you're, where you have a lot, lot to kind of express, um, right? Because it seems like maybe about seven years since all three films have come out now. So that's pretty well, prolific. Um, yeah, well, I'm trying to, I guess, make up for lost time, right? Mm. <laughs> Uh, again, it's called the glitch in the Matrix. And uh, do you recommend people have see any of these touchstones like the Matrix films? It makes well, sense, right? You'd probably be familiar with those. It does. I mean, I can't imagine who hasn't seen the Matrix at this point. But, yeah. You know, I'd also recommend Total Recall and Existence. Um, you know, maybe afterwards check out World on a Wire, which is an unbelievable miniseries. Again, made in the seventies, seventies or eighties. The Fastfinder one. It's like a two-part, oh. four-hour. Um, it's and it's it's a it's an adaptation of the same book that inspired the Thirteenth Floor, and in some ways, it's one of the more interesting uh, simulated simulated world movies. I wonder is is that just like on YouTube or something or? 
it's on Pathfinder. What? Criterion put out a beautiful. Oh, Criterion has it. Just on the said, Criterion. and I believe it's streaming on their service. Criterion Channel. Certainly, they have it. Certainly, they have. They put it out on Blue. Um, highly recommended. I'm gonna. I have not seen that one, so I'm. I'm excited to see that. Well, congratulations, and um, I'm really uh, thrilled to that we finally were able to work this out. Been wanting to talk to you for a long time. Oh well, I'm, I'm sure. glad you did. Thanks for reaching out, Adam. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, we'll do it again. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> okay. Have a great weekend. You too. this all the time but go to the youtube channel subscribe to that too please you're there's tons of content down there free of cost it doesn't cost a dime check it out you could actually watch both shatara and rodney on the youtube channel uh if you if you uh want to you can check out those conversations uh i do appreciate your listening please do take care of yourselves and the ones you love and we'll be back in a few days take care They say we're young and we don't know We won't find out until we grow Well, I don't know if all that's true Cause you got me and baby I got you Babe I got you, babe I got you, babe I got you, babe They say I love